Um, have you ever tried to plan like an amazing day for a spouse or a best friend or like, like, like just think of the most, I'm going to use a spouse as an example today, but just think of the most important person in your life that's an adult, right? We all try to plan really great things for our kids for their birthday, especially when they're little, in particular when they're one. How pointless is that? We plan this big extravaganza when they're one. They're never going to remember. And it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's, it's for the parents, and we all enjoy it a lot. But anyway, the, you're trying to plan, you ever try to plan a, a really, really special day for, I'm going to say spouse, but just think of the, the, uh, the most important adult in your life. So to plan a really amazing day for that person, for your spouse, for whoever, what do you, what do you need? Well, one, more importantly, you need to know them really well, Right? You need to know what excites them. You need to know um, what pleases them. Um, Secondly, if you're going to plan an amazing day for someone, you have to have a relationship with them, right? Like if you don't have a relationship, it means that you don't really know them. You don't really understand them. You don't really know what drives them. You're not going to be able to plan something that's fantastic. Second, or thirdly, you need to know their character. And that might sound like a weird thing to say when you're trying to plan a party. I'm not going to say like an amazing day. But for example, I'm going to be subtle here because we have our elementary kids in here. But when I got married, I had a bachelor party, right? And my bachelor party was pretty boring um, when it goes to the world standards. But a friend of a friend came to my bachelor party, kind of met us where we were going just because he lived where we were. And he tried to plan something that happens at bachelor parties sometimes. You with me? This guy didn't know my character, <laughs> and so we found out about that, and we had to shut that thing down really quickly because um, he thought that would make for an amazing bachelor party. Not for me, man. <laughs> that is not how I roll, right? So um, you need to know their character, what, what they do and the, what they would and wouldn't do, and then just obviously their desires and their joys, their likes, what they love. Now, if you knew these things, and th- by the way, this is what we do. This is human nature, right? You, you know, what, even if you know all of these things, how, do you, how well do you think that day would go if then you ended up planning a bunch of stuff that, that you thought was really fun? Like, now, now that sounds like a really good time. I bet she, I bet he, I bet they would really like that. Oh my gosh, yeah, going, going ziplining. That sounds like such a good time. If, if you planned what you thought was fun, how well do you think that day would go? It might go all right. It could be a disaster. Or it could go okay. You might have some good times. You might make a few good memories. But um, how much better do you think that day would go? How much more love do you think that person would feel? How much more amazing would it be? How much more memorable would it be if you made that whole day about what would please them? Because you understood them. Because you knew their character. Because of your relationship with them. That's a day that somebody might not ever forget. I'm going to get to the point on that in just a second. I want to connect it for you. If you're new in the room today, we've been walking through a series on prayer, right? And how we've been walking through that is the, the, the example of prayer that Jesus gave us called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. You can also find it in Luke 11. And so we've been really talking about what prayer is, and we've just been adding layer after layer after, as we've walked through this. And so we've kind of defined prayer, and we said prayer is something simple. Prayer is a, you ready, Parker? You can say it with me, is a personal conversation with God. She's got that down. And she's going to get this part soon a spiritual encounter with God, right? It's a personal conversation and a spiritual encounter with God. And so if you were here last week, you saw that. In the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it, it talks about how God is our Father. That's the personal side, right? He's a Father to us. And that, that Hebrew and Greek word for Father is, that, is like a, how a little kid talks to their dad, like very intimate, very close, very, very trusted relationship that we can come to God with confidence because we're his children, he's our Father. It's personal. We need to make it personal, 
And then the second part, a spiritual encounter, the second part of the verse last week was hallowed be your name, that we treat God's name as holy, as set apart. We, high, we hold it in the highest of praise, seeing God for who he is and worshiping him, right? Prayer is spiritual. It's connecting our spirit with the Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's a personal, it's a spiritual thing. It connects us to the heart of God. And so if you weren't here the last few weeks, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons because, like I said, we're just adding layer after layer. So if last week showed us where our personal conversations and our worship should be placed in prayer, where it should, where it should be directed in prayer, I think Jesus this week is going to show us our greatest purpose in prayer. Now, there's a lot of purposes to prayer. There's not just one. But I think it's going to be, he's going to show us our greatest purpose to prayer. And and through that, I think what he's going to do is like, like with our, let's say our spouse, when we know them, when we understand them, when we have a relationship with them, we can connect with them in a way that is pleasing to them, that makes them feel loved, that lets them know that they're loved. And really that love, that relationship can, can transform how we interact with each other. That's what we're going to really see today with God. When we understand who God is, when we understand what pleases him, when we understand what he wants, it's going to transform the way that we pray, pray and it's going to transform our hearts. And that's where we're going today. That's why, the, by the way, I'll just give you a little hit. Um, that's why the word of God is so important, even in prayer. Because prayer, the word tells us who our God is and helps us to pray rightly so we can pray in a way that pleases God. And pleasing God in our prayers is really, really important but not so that we can be good. You're going you're to see why that's so important in a minute. I think Christians sometimes think that pleasing God is something where we have to perform really well for him. That's not what it's about at all, but we'll, we'll get there. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read our whole passage, and then we're going to come back and look at verse 10. So if you opened up to Matthew 6 already, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 6. And so our entire passage for this series starts in verse um, five, and so we're going to start in verse five. I, I want this just to be sunk into our hearts. So every week we're reading the whole passage, and then we'll come back and we'll look at verse 10 spe- specifically, not specifically, specifically today. So we're going to read verses five through 15. Read with me in Matthew six. And this is Jesus talking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases or empty prayers as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so that's the whole passage. But just a second ago, I said um, what we're going to read today may show us the greatest purpose of prayer. And I I believe that's found in verse 10. So let's read verse 10 one more time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we said all prayer, all kinds of prayers 
are a personal conversation with God and a spiritual encounter with God. It's all worship, right? So whether we're, it's a prayer of thanksgiving, which is a good thing, a prayer of confession and repentance of sin, or whether it's a prayer of intercession, whether it's a prayer asking for wisdom, all of those are great prayers, all of those are good prayers. We should pray all of those things. But what I think Jesus is really showing us is what our true aim is. Does that make sense? All those things are good, but what we're really aiming at in prayer, and it's that God's kingdom would come to the earth and God's will would be done on earth, in our lives, around us, in the world. In the end, I think there's nothing greater than that. That statement right there when it comes to prayer. We get that, we're going to get prayer right for the most part. Now, why? Well, here, that's what we're going to look at the rest of the sermon today. So we're going to look at both parts. We're going to look at your kingdom come, and we're going to look at your will be done. So let's think about, firstly, about your kingdom come. In the gospel, in the gospels, Jesus tells us why he came. Right? He tells us the main reasons that he came. And the thing that gets repeated over and over in all of the Gospels is what he says in Mark 1.15. If we can get Mark 1.15 up there, it says this. And this is Jesus' time talking. The time is now fulfilled, meaning the time of the Messiah, the time that the king, the promised king has come, that deliverance has come. Jesus saying this time has come. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So since the time of King David, and by the way, our next series is in 1 Samuel, and we're going to bridge into 2 Samuel, and we're going to talk about King David. We're going to talk about his life. I'm really excited about it. But since the time of King David, there's been this talk of this king that would come, this Messiah that would come, then this king would have an, an eternal kingdom, that this king would rule forever, a kingdom without end. And now Jesus, whether they all see it or not, he is declaring that this kingdom has come. I am bringing this kingdom with me. I am this forever king. The kingdom is now breaking into the world through me. Now, here's the thing about the kingdom of God. I, I, something I, I want us to see clearly. I've talked about this before, but I want to make sure we all get this, that sometimes people think that, that we bring God's kingdom to earth. And to say that it's not wrong to say that we bring God's kingdom to earth, but, but sometimes people think when we do kingdom-like things that we are bringing God's kingdom to earth. Like kingdom-like things like loving people. Now, loving people is a really, really great thing, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandment. Absolutely, we're to love people. Or, or serving people, or doing good things in the neighborhood, or all of those types of things. Like, those are really, really good things, and those so excellently reflect the character of God and who he is and holiness, but I want you to hear something. Those things don't bring the kingdom of God to earth. Are you hearing me on that? Who brings the kingdom of God to earth? Anybody know? Hey, kids that were in the elementary class this morning, who brings the kingdom of God to earth? Jesus. The kingdom of God comes with Jesus. Thank you, Parker. Like, the kingdom of God comes with Jesus. The kingdom of God, people being transformed, right, from sinners to saints, from, from in debt to God because of their sin to set free, to be declared guilty to not guilty. That's how the kingdom of God comes to earth. I love the way that Paul says it in Colossians 1.13. Can we get that, Denver? Colossians 1.13. I think we have that one. Yeah, there it is. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, meaning Satan, sin, and evil, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, the kingdom of God comes through the king. The kingdom comes when God sees us enslaved to our sin, when he sees us imprisoned by the weapons of our enemy, Satan, and he extends to us the free gift of grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and saves us from hell and death and delivers us into his kingdom, into his family as his redeemed saints. 
That's why when Jesus said, um, the kingdom of God has come, therefore what? Repent and believe. When people repent of their sins, when they realize they are guilty, and they also realize that God came, Jesus came to save them and to wash away their sins and to redeem them, that's the kingdom of God coming to earth. So the only way, church, that we really bring the kingdom of God to earth is by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ seeing people lost in their sin and transforming their hearts. In the elementary class this morning, um, Kayla did an amazing job of showing how we have selfish, sinful hearts, black hearts. And then God's kingdom comes into our lives and it turned around and it said, I think it said loving, right? We go from selfish to loving. We love God and we love people. He transforms our dead hearts to be alive. That's the kingdom of God coming to earth. Now, we see the evidence of, of this kingdom in the transformation and the sanctification of his saints, right? And so the kingdom has come in my life, but the kingdom, you can think of it this way, the kingdom is still coming because am I perfect yet? Are you perfect yet? Right? That, that day has not come when we will be fully glorified with Jesus in his forever kingdom. And so the kingdom is, is displayed when we are sanctified, when we are transformed, and we display the goodness, the holiness, the set-apartness, the distinction of our heavenly Father, of our Savior and Lord, and when we show that in the world. Right? When we display the character of our king, it is a reflection of his kingdom. And it points people to who he, who he is, because the world doesn't work the way that God's kingdom does. The kingdom of the world is totally different than the kingdom of God, right? So as I always say, holiness is really being, the, the word kind of translates in multiple ways, but one of the ways it translates is set apart. We're to be distinct from the word, world in our purity, in our, in our holiness, in our goodness, in the reflection of our king. Have you ever heard of the guy named Augustine or Augustine? If you're a little bit pretentious, it's Augustine for sure. Right, but either way, he, was around, he, he lived around 300. He's one of the oldest church fathers, one of the most influential. But he compared these two, he called them the cities, but the, the city of God or the kingdom of God versus the city of man or the, the kingdom of man. And he described the city of man like this. The city of man is evidenced by selfishness, which we talked about in the elementary class, right? As selfishness, as pride, as, as self-ambition, just self-focus. Like everything that comes with that greed and lust, that, that's what the world desires. That's what the world, control, power, that world goes after those things. And man's kingdom, you can tell it's man's kingdom because man's kingdom is temporary. And it is sinful and it's always going to collapse because it's built on lies. Like there are truths that there are truths in this world, but like man's kingdom is not built on truth. It's, it's built on deception and lies, whether we can see those lies or not. So it's always going to collapse. And Augustine used Rome as the perfect example. It seemed like Rome was going to stand forever, that they were going to rule over a big portion of the world forever. Rome called themselves the light the light of the world. And man, they were powerful and they had the, most, the best technology and the best army and the most money and all the glory. But where's the Roman Empire now? It collapsed a long, long time ago. And so now it's just a distant memory, something we point back to and be like, wow, look what, what man can accomplish. But what man accomplishes is really a collapsed kingdom. And we put that on, as a dichotomy to the city of God or the kingdom of God, which is built on holiness and righteousness, and love, and justice, and the character of God. Exactly what we have inherited in Christ, and what we are being transformed to reflect by the, by the Holy Spirit, right? And God's kingdom, in contrast to the city of man, is eternal, it is holy, and it will never collapse because it is held together by its king. It is held together by truth, truth that can never fall 
and will never fail. And so, listen, church, we pray for the kingdom of God to come by praying that Christ would save sinners, that hearts would be transformed, and that our hearts would be transformed more and more to reflect our king, to reflect his eternal kingdom. Listen, this is really that we would be more holy. You know, what I, what's been enlightening to look at Paul's prayers and all of his letters to his, church, to his churches that he, he planted and started or supported and all the people is Paul very rarely prays against people's sin. You ever notice that? Now, he, he talks about the dangers of sin all the time, but in his prayers, he's, what he's praying the most is, are things like, I pray that your love would abound. I pray that you would be blameless before your king. I pray that you would be united in heart, soul, and mind as you're united to Jesus. He's like, he's praying for what he knows that they can be in Christ. He, he of course, speaks against sin, but you very rarely hear him speak against, against their sin as a church. He, he speaks mostly about what they can be, their abounding love. Paul sees who Christ is. He sees his kingdom. He sees who we can be, who we should be. He says, I want you to be that because if you understood what it is to be in God's kingdom, to be sanctified, to be holy, you would never want anything else. So I'm praying that you will see the love of God and you will abound in that love. You will overflow with that love because you'll never want anything else more. That's what Paul wants for us. I think so often we just want to be better or not as bad or, no, God, God wants us to abound in his kingdom. And what a blessing it is that God's kingdom doesn't come through our performance or how good we can do at a particular time. It comes through the transforming power of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Man, that is a relief to us that know that we can't do it all on our own. Stop looking to yourself but look to Christ, and that's what will transform you. So that's what we pray for. Now, that's the already part of God's kingdom, but there's a not yet part, right? We live in a time, you've heard me say this before, of already not yet. God's kingdom has already come, but as I said before, we're not perfected yet, right? So the real prayer here, like the ultimate prayer here, is that God's kingdom would truly come. Open up your Bibles to Revelation 21. Second to last chapter in the book, this is a Passage that we've looked at before, we'll probably look at it a hundred more times if freshwater's here until I die. And I think it's, it's one of those passages, I say this a lot, that you just need to, this passage needs to, need to, needs to be a part of who you are. Right? You need to lock it in. Because this is ultimately what God is promising us. This is ultimately what it's going to look like when God's kingdom comes to earth and it's fully fulfilled forever. Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Right? God's kingdom is built on what is trustworthy and true. Church, this is actually our greatest hope. 
I know sometimes it feels like our greatest hope is in this world because we know that we're sinful and we know that we mess up and we need the grace of Jesus Christ and praise God for that. But this is our ultimate hope, that one day we're going to be with our forever king forever, that he's going to wipe away every tear, all the pain, all the mourning, all the suffering. We'll actually not only, it'll not only be wiped away, but we'll understand all of it once we get to heaven, that all of that suffering and all that trust we put into Christ as we suffer will be displayed as glory in heaven and we'll finally understand what it was all about as everything comes to fruition, and those things are no more. It's like they're undone. It's like they never existed and will be restored to what was originally, was what originally happened in the garden. So now we live in that tension, right, of, of, of wanting Christ to return. Like, I want Christ to return. Do you? I'm tired of, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of the struggle. Are you ever tired of that? I mean, I trust Christ, but on some days, I'm just tired of it. I want Jesus Christ to return. I want to know the, the, the joy that we're going to have forever. At the same time, I have family members and friends that aren't saved. Do you? And I want them to know Jesus Christ. I don't want to be in heaven without them. So I also want Jesus Christ to wait. I don't want, I don't want him to come quite yet. There's still nations out there that don't know Jesus, that haven't heard the gospel. I want them to be able to hear the gospel. Because at the time when Jesus returns, the time of grace and mercy is over. Again, I say this a lot, but we think of Jesus as this loving guy, and he is a loving guy, but he's also coming back with the sword, and he's going to separate those who love him from those who don't, and there won't be any more chances for grace. The time will end. You're either going to heaven or hell. That's it. You bear the weight of your own sin, or the Savior of the world bears that weight for you, and God looks at you as righteous. Guilty or righteous, that's it. So as badly as I want Jesus Christ to return... I'm also like, just, just wait a little longer, right? No, 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 come back today. No, a little longer. And we live in that tension, right? Uh, already. God's kingdom has already come, but it's not yet come because it hasn't fully come. So this is, this is praying for God's kingdom to come. So let's look at it a little bit more practically. Here, here are some ways that we could pray. Because this, your kingdom come is just an example of like this bigger picture in scripture. So here's ways we can pray for God's kingdom to come. We can pray that, that God's glory, that his renown, that his name would be made known among the lost in our lives, in our circles, in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue. We can pray specifically for sinners to be saved. Like specifically pray for particular people to be saved. But also pray for like our mission field, Tom Watkins neighborhood, El Salvador. Pray that God would come and his kingdom would come in their lives and people would be saved and redeemed. Pray for that all the time. Right? We can pray that we would bear the evidence of Christ's transforming kingdom. That we would be a good representation for him. Because, man, it's, sometimes it's hard to be kind to people and gentle and loving, particularly to people who don't deserve it. But that we might reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ and bear the evidence of his kingdom. That his kingdom would come and be displayed in our lives. And then we can pray, there's a lot more, but I'm just going to do a few today. We can pray that God wouldn't tarry for much longer. That he would come and he would make all things new. And that we, his family, could live with him forever and celebrate at the, at the banquet, at the feast forevermore with our king. And talk about all of the amazing things that he has done throughout history, that he's done in our lives, and done in all the lives of the saints. I just imagine we're going to sit around a big banquet table and we're going to talk about just how amazing Jesus is. And do you, like... I think we're going to tell stories about a grandma who lived in a neighborhood 
who loved all of her grandkids and all of her kids and all the kids in the neighborhood, and she pointed them all to Jesus, and a lot of kids got, grew up, and they got saved, and their kids got saved, and their kids got saved, and just a grandma that no one knew except for the people in that neighborhood, and we're going to be in heaven sitting around a banquet table and be like, look what Jesus did with your life. Look at the ripples that came from your life because you were faithful to Jesus. God, look what you did through this little grandma that no one ever knew. I think that, that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're just going to celebrate at a feast of all the amazing things God did through people's lives that we that would never know or never even heard about. I can't wait for it. The consummation of all things. So Jesus, come, but also Jesus, wait. We, that's a way we can pray for God's kingdom. Now, the second part of our passage today was God's will be done, but we don't need to spend a lot of time here, right? Because it's basically the same as the first thing. God's kingdom coming to earth is God's will. But here's the thing. Psalm 115 says this, he does all that pleases him. Psalm 115.3 says that God does all that pleases him. Now, if you don't know the character of God, or you don't fully wrap your mind around, that almost sounds selfish, right? Because if I did everything that pleased me, or you, you're like, I'm just going to do whatever pleases me. Do you know how selfish that sounds? Right? You're just going to, oh, you're just going to do whatever pleases you. But here's the thing: we can't. This is where we can't think of God like ourselves, right? That gets dangerous because He is not like us. There is no sin in Him. There is no selfishness in Him. So when God does what pleases Him, it's always holy. It's always good. It's always for the joy and the building and the love of His kingdom. So when God does what pleases Him. Ripples of goodness just go everywhere because God can only do what's right. God can only do what's good and holy. We want God to always do what pleases him because it will always be to our benefit in the long run. You, you see what I'm saying? God's not a man. He is not us. Now, how does that fit into God's will? Well, God's will and God doing what, what pleases his, him is his will. And how that's going to matter for us today is... I want you to understand, church, again, we've talked about this before, but I want this to sink deep into your hearts. God's will is not some nebulous mystery. So often we grow up thinking, I mean, I just wish I knew God's will. You do know God's will. Do you, do you know that? If you've ever write, read the Bible, here is 66 chapters, so many pages. These pages are so thin, right? I mean, how many pages in my Bible? It's like 2,000 or 3,000, almost 2,000 pages, right? God wants you to know him. God wants you to know his will. He's not made it mysterious. Right now, I know we want to know things like, well, which job does he want me to take? We'll talk about that in a second. I'm not saying that's a bad prayer to pray about which job you should take. But God has overwhelmingly told you what his will is. Do me a favor. Turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's towards the end of your New Testament. It's towards the end of your New Testament. If you were in Philippians with us, it's just past the book of Philippians, a couple books. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. This is another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. He wrote it to the church in Thessalonica, another church he started. And this is what he had to say about what pleases God and God's will. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to read the first three verses. I'll give you time to get there. I want to make sure everybody's with us. And just so you know, this is going to factor in today. We use the ESV translation of the Bible. There's other great translations, right? But we use the English Standard Version, so that's what I'm going to be reading today, because yours might say a little, something a little bit different, but in the end it says the same thing. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 says this, finally then, brothers, or brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to, here's that word, please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, 
You ever wonder what the will of God is? Paul just said directly, this. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Oh, there's another word. If you got the ESV, you see that little seven next to the, to the word sanctification? If you have the ESV, go to the bottom of the page and there's a seven at the very bottom. And it means that Greek word can be translated a different way so we can get more clarity. It says, or your holiness. So what's God's will for your life? For you to walk in holiness. For you to be sanctified. Sanctified is a church word to say, become more and more like Christ. Do you realize that, like, that's the most important thing? We want to know what job to take. Again, we'll talk about that. That's a good prayer. But as we become more holy, as we become more like Jesus, as we turn to him more and more and we understand how much he loves us and what he's called us to and what he saved us from, we'll understand the will of God more and more because we'll become more like our Savior. We'll become closer to our Savior. This is why prayer is so important. It connects you to the Holy Spirit of God. It connects you to Jesus. It transforms you so that you might actually know the will of God. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5. We've got one more. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. We're going to read three verses here. Verse 5, 16. Rejoice always. That rejoicing is rejoicing in the Lord. Have joy. Be happy because of all the things that God has done for you and how he loves you and who he is. Keep going. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Isn't that what we've been talking about through this series? Like prayer is not just something that we do in the morning before we leave for work or school or get up with our kids. Do that. That's awesome. Spend that time with the Lord. But it's throughout the day talking to him like he's your father. Like he's really, really good and he really, really loves you and you just want to talk to him and spend time with him. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Listen to this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Bible's telling you what the will of God is. Listen, God wants you to be thankful. Have you ever seen secular studies about what thankfulness does to our minds? It's so funny. I keep seeing all these secular studies, I'm serious, that constantly just point back to the truths in Scripture, and it's like this revelation. Thankfulness transforms our hearts to be like Christ, who was thankful to his Father. Jesus, who is thankful for us, his beloved, his church, which is crazy. He's thankful for all of you. He's thankful for me. So it's being thankful to God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he promises to do, rejoicing in him, being happy that God has saved you and redeemed you and loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. He's going to love you. He's going to be steadfast. And then talking to him always, pray without ceasing. Build your relationship with God. This is what God wants. That relationship with him will transform you to, to want to rejoice, to be thankful, to be sanctified, to be like Christ, to see the kingdom of God come to earth. See how these things are the same thing? The will of God is that God's kingdom would come to earth and transform sinners into saints, make them more like Christ until one day they're redeemed with him in glory forever. Amen. See why this is the most important part of this prayer? I say in what we do, hallowed be your name is probably the most important part of this prayer. Worship God. But this is telling us how we do this thing, that this is God's will. We get so hung up on God's will and what he wants with our life. But in, the, in what he wants more than anything is for us to live lives of holiness. But the tricky thing about that is you're not good enough to live a life of holiness on your own. But in your weakness comes Christ's strength to transform you, to walk in that joy, to walk in that goodness, to walk in that love, to walk in that justice, to walk in a reflection of Jesus Christ. About this passage, a pastor named J.I. Packer said this. I think we have this quote. From J.I. Packer. Said this about verse 10. 
Here more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which is practicing magic, but to bring my will into line with his. That's the most important part of prayer. Now, I don't want you to hear that quote and think, well, can't I ask for things? You know, the next part of this, this, this prayer is to pray for our daily bread, meaning to pray for our needs, to pray for the needs of others. Absolutely, that is a wonderful thing. That is a good thing. God's literally telling you, come to me and ask. Come to your father. Like, talk to him like a father. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. I just want us to see that this is the most important thing to get right before we just start asking God to understand what prayer is really about. Prayer draws us into the presence of God. And if our prayers are firstly focused on him, and secondarily our prayers about what he says, about, and what he says his will is in his word, then our hearts will ever so slowly be transformed to be more like his, to be aligned with his, and will walk in the will of God. It's about God's will being done, right? So, again, this prayer isn't primarily about which job to take or which college to go to. That's what we're dealing with right now. All right, or, or who you should marry or any of those things. Are those things good to pray about? Absolutely pray about them. Does God sometimes like answer that prayer directly? Yeah, sometimes you pray about something and you're like, God, if I'm not supposed to do this, just make it so everything shuts down so it's, it's, I clearly can't do it. And sometimes that happens. And then sometimes you're like, God, I don't know which one to take. Could you just make it clear to me? And sometimes you just have overwhelming peace and then door after door after door after door opens and it feels like God answered that prayer. Now, do we know directly that God said that's exactly what you should do? Not always, no. But it feels like God's leading us in a direction, Right? But you ever prayed for God's will and you're like, I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I don't know which job to take. Which, which job does God want me to take, this one or this one? They both would work, but which one is his will? But did, we just saw what God's will is, right? Your sanctification. That his kingdom would come in your life. We don't have to get hung up on things like this. If you are pursuing the Lord, and if you know I'm gonna, I want to take that job but I know in that job I can bring God glory. I know in that job I can do good things for his kingdom. I know in that job I can continue to be sanctified and I can reflect the kingdom there while working hard for my employer or whoever else. So and even in my hard work, I can reflect the glory of God. Then if that's all true and you've sought out wisdom and you, you've sought the Lord and you've talked to your father and you've put him first and you second, and then you know what you do after that? If there's two jobs, do you know what you do? Whatever you want. And you go and you take that job and you give that job to God for his glory and you serve him in that role. That's God's will for your life, your sanctification, the kingdom of God coming here. We don't have to stress about these things like that. Pursue God, pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, and all these other things are going to fall into place. And even if you make the wrong decision, somehow, don't act like God can't redeem a bad decision. That's what he does. He redeems bad decisions and turns them into good things. He takes broken things and turns them into holy things. So this is how we pray. Seek God's kingdom so that our, our hearts will be aligned with his heart. And so more and more as we're transformed, we will more and more walk in his will and know his will. So to wrap this up today, I want us to practice, practice praying this way. And I really need to wrap up in about four or five minutes. So I'm not going to do all of them. But I, I, when I say practice praying, I don't mean fake praying. We're going to take some time to pray. But I want you to see how this practically can play out. You can pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. So here's what I want us to do. I'm, I'm going to 
We're going to do this corporately, but I want you to get used to talking to God about these kinds of things, and we can just start now, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to give one, and then I want to, I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to talk to God right now. Talk to your father right now where you are, and then at the end, I'll, I'll close us corporately. But I want you to pray for people in your life, your family, your friends, your circle, that need the saving kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want you to pray that God would save them and redeem them with a heart that is praising God that he is a savior. Because sometimes it's hard to pray for our families and friends that we've been praying for forever because they don't deserve that forgiveness. But praise God, grace and deserve have nothing to do with each other. So take some time and pray that God's kingdom would come in your family and in your circles. All right, you can keep praying if you want to, but next time I just want you to pray for God's kingdom to come in Tom Wonka's neighborhood. If you're new, that's the neighborhood we're in, in Williams Elementary in El Salvador, our new missions partner, and that God's kingdom would come to all the lost places in the world who have never heard his gospel. Pray for God's mission field to be clear to us and that we could be a part of bringing God's kingdom and his will to earth. Again, you can keep praying. But lastly, I want us to get used to praying this churchy word, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. That, Lord, that the Lord Jesus would finish his work that he would use us to finish his work so that he would return and bring the new heavens and the new earth so we could be with him forever and to find our hope in his kingdom fully coming. Every week of this series, we're closing with a prayer from the word of God. And usually I give you some time to pray over it, but I'm just gonna read it and then I'll close us in corporate prayer today. If you wanna turn there quickly, it's the prayer in Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. This is a prayer we've read before, but this is a prayer... Paul literally says he is on his knees before his father for the sake of the church. And as I said, Paul so often prays that they would know, they would know who God is and they would really understand who they are in him so that they would walk in the goodness and the holiness and all the things that are pleasing to God. And so I'll read this and I'll pray. And with that, we'll close. In Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna read verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians three Verse 14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness to us. And God, as Paul prayed today, I pray over our church, I pray for myself, I pray for our city that, that we would begin to grasp your love, just how big it is, the riches of your glory, the riches of your goodness, the height, the depth, the breadth of your love for us, your love for your people, and all the things that you want to see happen in our lives. God, we know that we are not good enough to be all that we could be or should be, but God, you're promising us right there that in you we have all the love, we have everything that we need. And so God, I'm praying today that in, in the 
in our church family, in this community, uh, in our families, in our friends, in our circles. You, could, you would do more than we could even pray for. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see sinners saved. We want to see lost people brought to you. And we want to see your church sanctified, made holy, and to go out there and do the work of your kingdom, reflecting your character and your glory to a lost world who needs you so desperately. So God, I pray that your love would overflow in our hearts and in our church and in our churches. And that would flow out into our mission fields. God, we pray today that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful that we get to say this because of what you have done on the cross and the doors you've opened for us through the Father by your righteousness and holiness. And this is why we say, Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Remember, there's a members meeting right after this, but otherwise, why don't you stand? We're going to worship God in song. If you need prayer, we're only doing one song to close, but if you need prayer, I'll be over there in the corner. I would love to pray with you.